Our second reading this evening will come from Philippians 4. Philippians 4. So I wanted to have a reading from 1 Timothy 6. And now let's follow that up with a reading from Philippians 4, beginning in verse 11. Philippians 4, verse 11. Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger, facing abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So you have probably picked up on it. Our overall subject this evening will be contentment. Contentment. It's a huge Bible topic, and it's a very important quality uh, as we seek to walk with God and, and to serve Him and to please Him. Funny, I never have heard of anyone receiving a trophy for being content, have you? Have you ever heard of a reward for contentment? But yet, it is a very important ideal, as we will see together uh, this evening. So we have several questions we want to ask in regard to contentment. We'll be using the passages that we just mentioned, along with uh, several others. And so let's, um, let's get started. As we ask questions, you're most welcome. You're most welcome to help us answer these questions uh, from the standpoint of the Bible and um, things that please God. So, first question is, how can we define contentment? How can we define contentment? Does anyone, anyone want to take a stab at giving a good definition of contentment, remembering these passages, of course, that we just read together. Is there any one word that comes to you when we uh, think about the word content? Okay. That's the word that comes to me. Kay says satisfied. Satisfied. Okay. And so the ideal of being content is to be satisfied in God, to be satisfied in who, who He is, to be satisfied in what He has provided, to be satisfied in how He directs life and how He has set things up, and also satisfied in what He has done uh, for us. So that's a good word, that's a very key word, to be satisfied uh, with God. Look over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I think you will want to underscore this as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. This is a context where Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to step up and, and give of their means more. But notice what he says, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That verse is good to think about when you think about being satisfied in God because He is able to help us to have all sufficiency in all things at all times that we may abound in every good work. So we feel like that God is sufficient for us. Okay. We're satisfied in Him. Okay. So anyone who wants to serve Christ and be content in their relationship with Christ and be content in what God provides, that person is well on their way uh, to finding contentment. Now, a couple things to add to the definition that we have mentioned here. Uh, First, from Philippians 4, remember that God's expectation, expectation is that we find contentment with him in every circumstance. In all circumstances. And Paul said there in Philippians 4, of course, that he had learned whatever state he was in to be content. He had been in a place, in a low place, where he didn't have much. Okay. But also he's been in situations where he, had, where he had more. But nonetheless, he found his strength through Jesus, who would strengthen him. He could do all things. Okay. And so that needs to be part of our definition as well, that contentment means not just being content when things are well, but also when things are not so well, not going the way we want to go. But also part of, the, part of the definition, if we go back to 1 Timothy 6, is to learn that um, whatever we do have, whatever blessings we do have, uh, God would expect us to share those blessings, to, to take those blessings and benefit another soul. Right there in 1 Timothy 6, you'll notice as you let your eyes going up to about verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, Paul does, As for the rich, as for the rich in this present world, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set their hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready uh, to share. Thus, in doing this, verse 19, they're storing up treasure for themselves, as a good foundation for the future so that they may be able to take hold of that which is truly eternal life, true life. And so that's sort of our definition, to be satisfied in God, in who he is, what he has done, what he provides, and how he has set the world up and what he expects of us. But in addition to that, to be ready to share what we do have and also to do all this in whatever circumstance uh, we may find ourselves in. Okay. So definition of, of um, contentment. Anybody want to add to that definition that we've kind of uh, meshed together? Here. Being happy no matter what. Being happy no matter what. 
All right. Tranquility, tranquility, tranquility. Okay. Sort of a peaceful state. Okay. Not being affected by external circumstances so much. Okay. All right. Very good. Now, looking to First Timothy uh, chapter six and verse. Number six, what equation do you see in that verse? What equation do you see? Two plus two equals four. What equation do you see in verse six? Okay. Godliness and contentment. So G plus C equals what? GG. That's right. G plus C equals GG. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain, not just gain. That's why we say this is a very, very important topic because Paul says this brings us great uh, gain. But we need to look at this equation a little bit. Now, we understand that godliness is kind of just a summary of of what it means to follow Christ. And Paul uses this word a lot with Timothy uh, you know this in your reading. If you go back to 1 Timothy 4, uh, 7 and 8, he says, uh, But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 and verse uh, 15 and 16, 16 especially, uh, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness... Christ was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and he was taken up in glory. So godliness is us recognizing the value of Jesus and following him. But not just godliness brings us great gain, but godliness with contentment brings us great gain. In other words, Paul is simply saying that if we don't have contentment, along with the faith that we have in Christ, then we are basically destroying our faith. Okay. It's not just the faith itself, but this faith must include contentment if we want the great gain uh, that comes with it. Okay. So G plus C equals uh, GG, great gain. The word gain here is a business term. It means uh, this is good business. This is good business. Godliness plus contentment is the best business of all. Uh, It's the same ideal used in James uh, chapter 4, 13 through uh, 17, where he talks about how that life is a vapor, appears for a little time and vanishes away. But... um, Let's see, James 4... He says, come, you, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there, trade, and make a profit, make gain. James 4, verse 13. He says, what is your life? You're just a mist, a vapor that appears a little time and vanishes away. You ought to say, James 4, verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this 
or that. As it is now, you are boasting uh, in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil, verse 17. So whoever knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. Okay. So the idea here is that the best business of all is to have godliness uh, with contentment. Gain. Gain. We know that gain here means spiritual blessing. So let's, let's think about that. Uh, let's see. Wasn't it Jesus on Sermon on the Mount? What did he say to lay up and lay not up? What did he say? Yeah, lay up treasures in heaven. Lay up treasures in heaven, Matthew 6, 19 and 21. And Jesus in Matthew 13, uh, 43, 44, 45, 46, he, t he compares the kingdom, the church, to finding the pearl of great price, to finding a, a great treasure. What are some of the treasures of having godliness plus contentment? Okay, let's see if we can name a few of those off. How would you do it? What are some of the treasures of being a Christian? Peace. Okay, peace. Peace. And peace comes from pardon, from forgiveness. Okay. So let's 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 name forgiveness and then peace. What other treasures can you think of? We have a guaranteed promise if we remain faithful, and God will work everything out for good. Okay, providence of God, a promise of providence of God. Okay, three good treasures. What else would you name? Salvation. Hmm? salvation. Yeah, salvation, forgiveness, even ultimate salvation, joy, the promise of eternal joy in heaven. Okay, so that's good. So we got. Pardon from our sins and peace with God and the providence of God and the promise of eternal life. What else can you think of that's a true treasure of godliness? Prayer. Okay. Opportunity to pray. Okay. To be able to bring our requests, bring our burdens uh, to the Lord. That's right. So but prayer. Okay. We got the presence of God. Right. This is the way I've always remember, remember them was mainly words that start with a P. So if you, do, if you do pardon and the presence of God and you've got peace, you've got the providence of God, you've got a great purpose in life you, to do the will of God, you've got the promise of eternal life, and just on and on are the treasures. Okay. And so as we think about contentment, we want to think about a definition and then notice this equation here in verse 6 as well. So the next question is this, how do you mesh together uh, the idea of, of hard work, which is taught in scripture, and also contentment? Okay. Who wants to tackle that idea? How do you mesh together the biblical teachings, they're, they're both taught contentment, okay. and Paul here is definitely talking about material things because he goes on in verses 7 and 8 in 1 Timothy 6. talks about having food and clothing there with be content. So, so how do you mesh those things, things together? How, how do we explain the two side by side? If you're a farmer, it works together. We plan for hard work with contentment that God's going to bless us. Okay. All right. Mike is saying that it compares to farming. 
because you plant in hope, you plant with faith, and then you, um, you, it's hard work in the planting season, it's hard work all year, but then there is that contentment, faith that you're going to get the produce from it. Okay. What else you might, would you might say, might you say? Okay, good. Mark's saying it's not so much that the work is dreadful or hard, but any kind of work that you're doing for the Lord is just that. It's, it's working for the Lord, but especially that, that part about um, bringing souls to Christ. So your attitude helps to mesh these things together as well. Okay. It really comes down, doesn't it, to, to our focus, to our focus God's not discouraging hard work. He's not discouraging for us from having things and even getting new things to replace the old things, but he doesn't want us to lose our focus on what is very most important okay? because he knows that just a step or two and we are, it's very dangerous. We can get carried away. I think about the, uh, the lady described in the book of Proverbs 31, the, the virtuous lady, and how diligent she was in her work. Okay? But one of the great things um, said about her toward the end of Proverbs um, 31 is um, it does say she looks well to the ways of her household. Okay? But it also says in Proverbs 31:25 that strength and dignity are her clothing. And it also says in Proverbs 31, 26, that she opens her mouth with wisdom and she has a teaching of kindness on her tongue. Okay. But verse 30, Proverbs 31, 30, uh, says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord uh, is to be praised. The best thing said about this virtuous woman is she feared the Lord. Okay. And she worked very hard, but she didn't lose her focus. So I think that's, that's the main uh, idea. Now let me ask you this. Think about the Ten Commandments for a minute under the old law. Which of the Ten Commandments relates to being content? Or let me ask you this way. Which of the Ten Commandments relates to being discontented? Huh? Well, True. True. Very true, Sheila. All of them. All of them. Because God doesn't want us to be discontented in any which way. Sure. Very true, very true. So, but still, I'm going to ask the question again, which, which one? Which one relates to being discontented? Did you say it, Christian? Thou shalt not covet. Yeah, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. And in many different ways, that 
ideal is uh, taught in the New Testament as well. Thou shalt not covet. But if, we, if you want to read it, Exodus uh, 20, verse 17. I, I believe it helps to read this because, um, because it helps us understand to be content and what it is to be discontented. So the reading, Exodus 20 and verse 17, the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay. And so I want us to bear this in mind as we continue our discussion here about being content or or staying away from discontentment, the other man's grass, you know, seems to be greener. But God said, uh, I don't want you to covet. I don't want you to covet. And so um, let's bear that in mind. Now, we've got about three more, three more questions I want us to get to. Um, first one is this. What evidence do we see in the world that people are discontented. What evidence do we see in our world that people are not following the command to be content? What do you see? People are just angry. People are just angry. Okay. Which could, could spring from discontentment. Shootings? Okay. Something's not right if somebody's shooting people up. Right. Stealing? Okay. Do what? Yeah. Everybody, want, everybody seems to want more and more. Excessiveness. Okay. Excessiveness. So just okay. So just the existence of a lot of different religious groups shows that people are not content. Okay. When you see um, when you see the different things that people covet, that shows quite a bit of discontentment. What do people covet? Of course, they covet money and possessions. Okay. Would there be any advertisements whatsoever? Okay. Aren't the advertisers, aren't they betting on our discontent? Okay. Aren't they betting on our coveting? Okay. I saw one headline one time that says, you can demoralize your neighbor by buying this car. <laughs> okay. You want to make your neighbor feel bad? Come and purchase this car. Yeah, so you're wanting to. They're they're counting on us being discontented. Okay. I think that a lot of times advertisement seeks to actually create discontent to, to get you to like buy, you know, and to, to desire to have more possessions. Yeah, that's exactly right. James 
saying that advertising actually creates discontent. They're try, trying to create discontent because until we watched that, we didn't know we needed that. But all of a sudden, they're showing us we really do need this. So all of a sudden, we, we're discontented with what we have. Buy the latest laptop for the best windows. What if you get it out of the box? They got a new one. Yeah, so you can say Apple's one of the largest corporations in the world. Southern and phone is just slightly different. There's nothing wrong with the phone that you have. The, the next version is just a little bit better. Yeah. Needing the updated version of this and that. And Houston's saying, where would Apple be without our uh, discontent? Very good. Okay. Turn with me to uh, Joshua, chapter 7, right quick. Joshua, uh, chapter 7. And one of the troubles in, as they started conquering the new land was um, this man by the name of Achan. Achan. And it was just a temporary trouble, but they had to find out who it was that was, that was keeping some of the spoils to himself. And it was Achan. Notice what Achan says in Joshua 7, 20 and 21. Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak, we don't have to go any further. Clothes. Clothes. A beautiful cloak from Shinar. And then... 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Okay. So sometimes we covet money, possessions, even, even clothes. We even covet people, don't we? You know, the Ten commandment, 10th commandment there in Exodus 20 said, You shall not cover your neighbor's wife. See, society has a way of trying to show us, of trying to, trying to encourage us, trying to show us that that, that one you're married to, um, you know, there's someone else you probably should have married. And prob- maybe you can even make that happen now. Okay. But God said we're not going to be doing that. And David faltered in that, as you remember, uh, with Bathsheba. But just thinking about what we covet as a people, what we covet, uh, shows us the existence, the evidence for uh, discontent in the world. Sometimes it's just prestige that we covet. We, we covet the idea of some, hearing somebody say, well, well you've, you've really got, you've got things under control. You're really doing well. A lot of people just long to hear uh, those words. Social media really feeds into this too. You're just sitting and scrolling and you're seeing everybody's quick little snapshot of their perfect lives. Yeah. And you can become very discontent quickly. Okay. If you focus on what others have or, or that little snapshot. Okay. Christy's saying social media really uh, focuses on this and, and really survives on it because people are seeing these little snapshots of, of other people's lives and then they start thinking about their own life and then that creates some coveting and discontent. And there you go. Okay. So it, it does exist. The evidence for it is, is, is quite clear. 
Okay. We could go on and on about it. Um, and um, we could show and share lots of examples of that. Here in 1 Timothy 6, leading up to verse 6, Paul's problem was, was false teachers. And these false teachers were trying to find a way to, to take godliness. Okay, well, I think that what that means is a, a piece or two of Christianity and make some money out of it. Okay? Make some kind of profit out of it. And over in 2 Peter 2, 3, Peter mentions those who would make merchandise of the gospel. Okay. Well, anyone who would try to do that is a religious crook, but also is very discontented uh, in life. You know, these TV people that get up and talk about religion, okay, they have a, a, a virtual empire. I don't know if you've ever done some reading on that, but that lady that gets up, Joyce Meyer, okay, she has she has a multi-million dollar empire underneath her, okay, and seems not one bit ashamed about it. Okay. So it's just just interesting, you know, when Jesus saw people making merchandise out of the temple of God, he became a little frustrated about it, didn't he? Okay. So, discontent, uh, the evidence is there. Now let's ask this question. What, uh, what impact does this have upon uh, people? What, what impact does discontent have upon uh, people? For one thing, we know it spoils relationships. It definitely does that. It spoils relationships. Lawyers will tell you that the, the most volatile situations is when the family will is being read and being being meted out and things are being taken care of and the, the sparks really do fly because one gets one thing and another doesn't get another thing and and a lot of discontent that happens among friends you know uh, even high school friends they go their different ways uh, but a lot of times they go their different ways because one is has more than the other and the one that has more doesn't want to do anything, anything to do with the one that has little or vice versa. Um, and so it can spoil uh, relationships. It can also, though, um, it can really uh, corrupt your mind. Because if we're always discontented, uh, we are basically saying that it's, it's, it has to revolve around me. Those who are discontent look at possessions as the thing that's going to make them happy, right? Okay, like the old story that's always been told about Rockefeller when they ask him how much makes, makes one happy, and he says he, his answer was a little bit more. Okay. And, well, that's what, you know, Ecclesiastes 5 says that very thing uh, in verses 10, to, 10 and 13, I believe it is. I want to check that right quick. Ecclesiastes 5 um, verse 10, yeah. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth will he ever be satisfied with his wealth. This also uh, is vanity. While you're there in Ecclesiastes, if you look back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 11, 
Solomon says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind, and, and nothing to be gained under the sun. So the impact of uh, being discontent or coveting uh, is that it just corrupts your mind. You don't really understand life at all. You're looking for, toward things to bring you uh, the peace, the joy, and it's never, never, never uh, going to happen. Okay. Also has a big impact on kids. Okay. Big impact on kids. You ever seen something like this? Suppose you're at an ice cream shop and you get your little one, about four years old. The, the kids in the story are always four years old. Okay. I don't know, they're always four. But he's four, and you get him a, a vanilla ice cream cone and he is happy. He is happy. I mean, he's sitting down at the table and he's got his vanilla ice cream cone and he is happy until the next little munchkin walks in and his daddy gets him ice cream with the works, with everything you can imagine, all that colorful uh, topping on it. And all of a sudden, your little four-year-old is discontented with his. Now, nothing has changed with the makeup of the ice cream whatsoever. Okay, it's still the same ice cream, but now why is he unhappy? Why is he unhappy? Because he is he's comparing to that. And now this won't do. This won't do. Now, how parents or grandparents handle that situation will tell us a lot about what kind of teenager, what kind of young adult what kind of husband, what kind of wife we will have in the future. I believe it's just that strong. I believe this, this idea that God is bringing to us is, is huge in developing the character that he wants. And so, definitely, uh, content, discontent has an impact uh, in life. Okay. But then the final question is, of course, how do we eliminate discontent and bring in how can we root out discontent and bring in contentment so what is your answer uh, to this how can we root out um, discontentment and bring in what God wants so Sheila is saying this it's, it comes down to a personal choice of whether you make up your mind you're going to be satisfied with God. personal choice one makes uh, to whether either be content or discontent. Okay. 
pack up and move or sell your stuff and see how much you've got to move and why did you accumulate it? So look at your accumulation. That's going to tell you whether you need to root out some discontent or not. Well, you're going to leave all this stuff too when you die and make them all fight over Why did we get all this to begin with? We're going through that now. Okay. All right. Okay, counting your blessings can help you be uh, content. I think prayer and studying. Prayer and studying. Okay. Especially here in First Timothy six, he says, "Having therefore food and raiment, let us therewith uh, be content." And he says, "We have brought nothing into this world." What does that remind you of? Okay, the Book of Job, chapter one. When Job explained um, why he could go and worship God even though he had just lost so very much in his life, he said, the Lord give it, the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So what all of you are saying is that the eternal perspective has to be brought in in order to be truly content uh, with God. Okay. And I think that would be correct. When you go to a storm and you lose everything you got, then you have to evaluate. Yeah. I'm still here. That was just things. Learning to live without things is difficult, but it's a way to wake up. Okay. When you lose everything but you like, you get, hey, I'm still here. That's just stuff. Yeah. So when you go through a storm or anything traumatic, you, it brings you back to reality. Yeah, the spiritual life is always more important than the physical life. Jesus summed it up in Luke twelve fifteen: A man's life consists not in the things which he possesses. The word life there is not a word for biological life, but the essence of life is what he's saying. The essence of life does not consist in what a man uh, possesses. Okay. And so he's trying to get us to be clear, to stay clear. I think that's the idea, is to don't, don't let the world um, make things fuzzy, but to stay clear, be clear about uh, this, and be, be aware that this could... And he, of course, he's about to tell the story there of the man who built bigger barns and bigger barns. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73. It's a psalm of Asaph. And as we close, I'd like for us to glance at that. I think you'll want to notice this again. Psalm 73. His problem was, Asaph... His problem was that he would look upon the wicked and see all their abundance and it would cause his faith to grow weak. Okay. And verse 16, Psalm 73, 16, he said, uh, When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome, wearisome task until, verse 17, so verse 17 is one to mark, Psalm 73, 70, Psalm 73, 17. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end, their, who's there? 
there is the wicked. The ones that he's, he's, he's envying, the, the, the ones that are causing him such trouble. He said, I finally, Ida was saying, study and praying. Asaph is saying, I finally went and bowed down, studied it out, prayed to God. I understand now their end is not going to be so good. Okay. They may look prosperous now, but not at the end. Then Psalm 73, um, he, he looks to God, Psalm 73 and verse 25. Uh, he says, Whom uh, do I have in heaven but you, Lord? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I think that's a wonderful verse. Wonderful verse. There's nothing on earth that I desire uh, besides you. So Asaph had done some, some uh, soul searching, but it had done him a lot of good. Okay. Thank you so much. Appreciate you helping us uh, kind of walk through this uh, great subject, very important Bible subject. And we didn't get to near all of what we need to say. Okay. But um, thank you so much.